0: If you have your Bibles, let's find our way back to the Gospel of Luke, and we're going to be in the eighth chapter this morning. Um, If you uh, have your Bibles, and you know that if you look in there and you see it's red letter, and they call that a red letter edition of the scripture, that means that Jesus is talking. And if you start in the book of Luke, you kind of see a lot of black text, and then you start to see a lot of red text. And we're kind of moving back into some of the black text. Uh, And the reason I point that out for you to see this morning is that we've been watching Jesus speak a lot. And now Luke is going to transition and he's going to start telling the story of Jesus in in a few chapters and what's going on. And he's writing it from eyewitness accounts that he picked up from the disciples. Uh, We know that Luke said in the beginning of the gospel, I'm trying to make a a really orderly account of these things. And he's writing it to his his friend Theophilus. He wants him to know, uh, to be sure of these things. And so, as we read today, uh, Jesus is the centerpiece of this story, but Luke recorded it for us from an eyewitness account. And today's message is entitled Wind and Waves. And in our Bible passage today, they were very real threats to Jesus and the other men, the disciples in the boat. Uh, They were in a storm, as you might say, it was literal for them, but symbolically for us, the wind and the waves represent something that's a little bit different. Maybe you've experienced this, or you're about to experience it. Some have called it the storms of life. I once heard a pastor say, every one of us is going into a storm You're in the middle of a storm or you're coming out of a storm. and That's what happens in life. It's seasonal in our lives where we find ourselves in these things. Some call these things the trials of life, those times when we are tested by some situation or circumstance, not of our choosing perhaps, and it might seem like it's just too much for us, but no matter what you call it, if you're in it right now, you know it. That's the truth, isn't it? If you're in it right now, you feel it, you sense it, you're experiencing it, and as we read today, I believe God has a word for those of us in the storm or those of us coming out of the storm or those of us getting ready for the next thing that life will bring us. And I think it's important for us because God deals with these things for us. He fights for us. Let's read verse 22 of chapter eight. One day... He and his disciples got into a boat and he told them, let's cross over to the other side of the lake. So they set out as, as they were sailing, he fell asleep. Then a fierce windstorm came down on the lake. They were being swamped and were in danger. They came and woke him up saying, master, master, we're going to die. And he got up and he rebuked the wind and the raging waves. So they ceased. They ceased and there was calm. And he said to them, where is your faith? They were fearful and amazed, asking one another, who then is this? He commands even the winds and the waves, and they obey him. The Sea of Galilee is, is not so much of a large body of water as you might think of a sea like the Mediterranean Sea. And in our Bibles, it's called the Sea of Galilee. Luke calls it the lake here to go over the other side. If you go to the Sea of Galilee, you can see from one side to the other pretty easily. It's about 13 miles long and only about eight miles wide, so on a a very clear day, that's not a hard thing to see, top to bottom, left to right. It's just an easy thing to do. But the area around the Sea of Galilee is surrounded. It actually sits several hundred feet below sea level, and the mountains and the valleys that surround it cause this lake effect type storm quite often. Winds and cold air from the mountains rush down and they basically create a squall. Now, the area around the Sea of Galilee was the home base for much of Jesus's ministry. You may remember that he spent a majority of his time moving in and out of the different areas surrounding the Sea of Galilee as he ministered. And if you ever get to go with us on our trip to Israel, and I hope that you do, You will be amazed at how wonderful this area is. It's actually my favorite area of the entire trip because it just feels like you're outside of the city and you're at the place where Jesus walked. It's a a wonderful thing. If I could describe it in another way, it's beautiful, gorgeous. And you get to go out on the boat and it just feels serene. But when Jesus told his disciples to cross over to the other side of the lake, or the sea, we gotta remember, that's not a big deal for them. Do you remember that Jesus had found several of these disciples at another occupation? They were fishermen. They were at home on this Sea of Galilee. It wasn't a a new place for them. It was a place that they worked every day. They were mending nets and, and going out and fishing and bringing in the fish. So these are not people who have no sailing experience or boating experience. What Jesus suggested for them was something kind of like me saying to you, hey, let's ride over to Mount Juliet. You probably don't think about that, you just get in the car and you go. That's what it would be like and that's what it would happen. And most days riding to Mount Juliet is not very perilous. You listen to the radio, you drive by the airport, you watch the water spill out of the dam at Percy Priest Lake and You drive through Old Hickory and then you get to Mount Juliet. But this day wasn't like that. You know, when you go and do something outdoors with a guide, you get a lot of information from what's going on based on how the guide's reacting to circumstances, don't you? For instance, if you go into the mountains on a horseback riding tour and a storm starts to come up and the guide is singing in the rain and it's no big deal, you feel pretty calm, But when the guide who lives their lives out in the mountains starts to get nervous, you better be nervous, right? I mean, that's kind of how it works. And in this case, our scripture says it didn't take long for the professionals to be worried. The professionals were worried, and they had good reasons to be worried. If you look back in in our passage, you see two words that jump off the, the, the pages for us, describing the situation in its visual nature. It says they were being swamped, and they were in danger. They were being swamped. There was so much water coming over the top of the boat that it was filling up. They were literally losing buoyancy. It was about to be a problem. The bilge pumps on that boat were buckets. There was no pump to get the water off the boat. And as the guys were bailing the water out, the water was coming in too fast and they were sinking. And if you can't bail out the water fast enough, you will go down. Remember this, it was more than the boat could handle. Don't forget that. It was more than the boat could handle. The second word used there is danger. He said these men were in imminent danger, immediate peril. In other words, the situation was serious for them. And not only serious, but really it was dire. If something didn't happen, there was going to be a good chance people were going to lose their lives. And while this is going on, Jesus is taking a nap. They're working And he's taking a nap, that's funny, isn't it? I don't know, I've read this story so many times and it always cracks me up that Jesus was evidently so tired or so unconcerned that he was taking a nap. And that's kind of maybe a normal thing to do in the day that they started in. Remember it said they got in, they were going across, it was calm, it was a breezy day and it would be like being out on the water. I mean, it's a great place to sleep, isn't it? If you're just kind of the rocking of the boat the wind blowing through your hair. The waves kind of lapping against the side of the boat. I mean, it feels like a great place to take a nap. And some of you who are professional nap takers right now, you're already thinking about it. You're like, man, if I could get out to the lake today, this is gonna be a great day for me. to get." It's a great place to do it. But what's odd is that the disciples are frantically working to save their lives and the boat. And Jesus is still asleep. Their world is coming apart And he's as chilled out as a person could be. He's as unconcerned as a person can be. So they wake him up saying, Master, Master, get up. We're going to die. Now let's just imagine with some Holy Spirit imagination. It's not in the scripture. We don't know. But we assume the disciples were 12 in the boat with him. And all of them are either working frantically because they're professional fishermen. And maybe Matthew, the tax collector, he's not working frantically because he doesn't know what to do, but he's worrying frantically. So we're working or we're worrying and somebody makes the decision to wake Jesus up. Now, if this is my imagination, you take it for what it's worth. Master, master, wake up, we're dying. And Jesus, do you think he sprung up? I don't it's just my imagination I don't know but I imagine Jesus getting up and kind of wiping the hair that's now wet out of his face rubbing his eyes a little bit and looking around and surveying the situation Luke doesn't tell us what happened Neither does Matthew or Mark. They don't say that he jumped up alarmed or that he was totally calm, but his response makes us think that he's calm as he surveys the situation. And Luke simply says he got up and he rebuked the wind and the waves. And all of a sudden, it was calm. And the word rebuked is actually only used two times outside of the Gospels. The Gospels use it a lot. I was reading in my devotional this morning in the early parts of Luke, it says multiple times Jesus rebuked a demon spirit out of somebody. One time he rebuked a fever out of somebody. To rebuke. If you see it in Paul's letter to Timothy, he says that the word of God is useful for correction, instruction, rebuke and training in righteousness. Rebuke. Timothy tells, uh, tell, the, the letter to Timothy says that it's, it's a, a word of God is useful for rebuke in our lives. Now that means that God's word helps us get back in proper alignment with God's will when we have strayed. So if you can follow the line of thinking, Jesus rebuking the wind and the waves is telling them to get back in line to where they're supposed to be. And this has led some scholars to believe that what was going on here was actually Satan doing his best to sink the Savior of the world, stirring up the world to sink the Savior of the world and get this tempest up so that the boat would go down and then Christ would sink too. That might be true. But what might be more troubling for us this morning to think about is that Jesus knew it was going to happen all along. Remember whose idea it was to take the little boat trip? They got in the boat and Jesus said, hey, fellas, let's go over there. Let's ride over there. Now, I don't remember the first time someone read this story to me. I have no context for that because in my life, I can't think back to a time where I don't remember this story. We teach it in preschool. We teach it in children's ministry. We teach it in youth. You've heard it. It's almost like when was the first time that you learned George Washington chopped down the cherry tree? He didn't, by the way. Did you know that? See, you got something this morning out of this. I don't remember. It's my whole life has been that way. But the amazing thing about this and what fascinates me and something that was new to me as I read this story is that the Bible says that God uses the middle of what we're going through, us being right in the center of it to shape our lives Even if it's a story or a passage that we learned a long time ago, and I want us to consider a few things that even though we may have known this forever, might shape what we're going through today. So let's start with that most important thing that's overlooked. It's this aspect of the story that Jesus directed the disciples to get in the boat and cross over. There was something going on here, and whether that's a a satanic attack or it's God's will that, that, that he's bringing these disciples into the storm, it doesn't really matter. It's a test of the disciples' faith. The truth is, it doesn't matter what's happening in our lives. God uses it because he's sovereign over all situations. Psalm 3115 says this. The course of my life is in your power, Rescue me from the power of my enemies and my persecutors. I want you to see that first line and just just think about it. Dwell on that for a minute. The course of my life is in your power. Do you believe that this morning? Do you believe that the very comings and goings of your life, ordained by God, sit in the midst of his power and he directs them? That's what the psalmist is saying. That God owns the, the days of our lives, the direction of our lives, that he takes us into these things. If you think about it, most of us love the illusion of control, don't we? If you've ever taught someone to drive, you know that that sometimes can be a scary thing. Not because you're worried that you're going to wreck, but because you don't have control. I love watching people try to drive without a wheel and stomp the brakes and stuff when they're teaching their teenagers to drive, it's a control issue. We want to control and we believe we're in control and we actually think we have way more control than we actually do when in reality, God's in control of all things in our lives. The course of my life is in your power. These aren't circumstances that just happen. This is God in our lives working all things. So our response to our circumstances often indicate to everyone around us who we believe is actually in control. If you believe God's in control, it changes how things happen when you don't get into the school that you wanted to. If you believe you're in control, it changes how things happen when you don't get the promotion you wanted. It, it changes what happens when doors are shut because you feel like you need to kick them down. If God's in control, the course of my life is in your power. I don't have to do those things. I can trust That whether I'm in the midst of a trial or a temptation, I don't have to feel hopeless this morning. Because God's not unaware of what's going on. The days of my life ordained before I was born are in his power. He hasn't left us in these things. And here's what none of us like to admit out loud. There are times that God leads you into difficulty and it's hard. It just happens. Why does God allow it to happen? Or even caused them to happen. Why would God allow that to be so in the disciples' lives? Well, if we really believe that Romans 8, 28 is not just a verse to hang on the wall, but it's a verse to live by, then we believe that God is working all things together for good for those that love him and are called according to his purpose. That's easy when the ball bounced your way this week. It's tough when you're in the middle of it. We know that God's working all things together for good. What kind of good comes from a boat almost sinking? Well, that's a tough one to answer sometimes because we can't see. What do we really get out of our lives being pressed to the very limit? It's a great question for us to answer. The disciples were going through this storm and they were about to learn something about Jesus they didn't know. They knew he was a teacher. They knew he was a healer. But now they know that he has authority over things that up until this moment seem outside of everyone's control. Who controls the winds and the waves? God. God uses the storms, the trials, the temptations of our lives to reveal more about his character to us so that we know him in a deeper way. We experience his love in a way that we have not yet experienced it. As we follow Christ, sometimes our path crosses dangerous situations. People are often fond of saying, the safest place in the world is the center of God's will. Ah, maybe not. Does this feel safe to you? may not be safe, but it's right. It may not be safe, But it's right, God might lead us into peril. God might ask us to go somewhere that feels outside of our comfort zones. God might lead us face-to-face with danger. We might like to believe that because we follow Jesus, we'll never have any trouble, but that's not true. That's an awful lie that we love to believe, and the modern church really loves it. We read the scripture, all we have to do is look back and look at all the characters in the scripture. Did they live the life of Riley? Was life easy for them? Was it easy for Mary when she was told as a young teenager engaged to Joseph that she was pregnant? Imagine explaining that. Do you think it was easy for Gideon when his whole life he'd been throttled by his enemies and God says, I'm going to lead you with just a couple hundred people and you're gonna do it all. Do you think it was easy for David to face the giant? Do you think it was easy for Noah to build a boat when no one? Had ever seen a flood? These things make you look crazy sometimes. They make you feel like you might be being pressed to your very limits. But we're not exempt from these things. In fact, we go through them and we have something incredible happening in the midst of those things. Can you guess what it is? We don't go through it alone. Jesus is in the story with us. And that makes all the difference. I want you to listen to a couple of verses that remind us that we're never alone. Psalm 23, four, even when I go through the darkest valley, I fear no danger for you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The Bible says that we're we're in the darkest days of our lives. We never walk alone. We don't have to face those by ourselves. We have the protection of the Lord's rod and staff with us. He will protect us. He will walk with us. When the shadow of death darkens our door and our time is through on earth, we don't go through that alone. God walks with us through that. Because Christ has been raised from the dead, we never walk alone. He is with us. So, what can danger do to us? If the worst thing that we face in this life is death, and Christ has been resurrected from the dead. What do we have to fear? We have a hope. That won't disappoint. Listen to Hebrews 13. Keep your life free from the love of money. Be satisfied with what you, ha- what you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you or abandon you. Therefore, we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? Notice that the author of Hebrews reminds us of something that we all feel the pinch of. I don't know if I have enough. I don't know if I have what I need. How are we going to be able to afford this? How are we going to be able to pay for this? How's God going to show up? He says, don't worry about the the love of money. God's going to take care of it. And then he says, and what do you have to fear for man? I'm walking with you and man can't do anything to you. You're not facing it alone. Once we're reconciled to Christ Jesus and therefore God the Father, the Bible says that we never walk alone. Now remember, at the beginning of the message, I told you the disciples were experiencing more than the boat could handle. They were being swamped. They were in real danger. The boat had a limited capacity to deal with this storm and the disciples had a limited capacity to be able to deal with the storm, but they had not yet begun to exhaust the full capacity of Jesus. Jesus. While they were running short on capacity and ability, they hadn't even scratched the surface of what God could do. And when our ability runs out or it runs thin, we're not hopeless. We're not even close to hopeless because we'll never exhaust what God can do. And so we have to ask ourselves in these situations, do we run to Christ or do we keep battling on our own? Do we keep trying to do it in our abilities? Do we keep asking other people's abilities to help us? Or do we run to Christ? Sometimes we want to place our faith in that boat. Oh, well, it's a solid boat. My abilities inside this boat are good. But what we need to do is exactly what the disciples did. Master, master, we're perishing. We're dying. Get up. Master, I'm calling on you, get up. When our lives get out of control because of an outside force or an illness or the loss of a friend, it's disorienting. But then Jesus stands up in the middle of those things and he rebukes them for us. It means he puts them back where they need to be. In one minute, it feels like your hair is on fire. In the next minute, calm. Calm. When the storm had passed, Jesus asked them, where is your faith? Now, they had faith because they had followed him. They had left everything and followed Jesus. So it could be that Jesus is saying, did did you guys forget who I was? Or maybe he's asked them, what are you placing your faith in? So he could be chastising them a little bit because they're scared and, and they're in the boat with him and they shouldn't have been scared. Should their faith have not, have been bigger maybe at this point? But I think that as Jesus was revealing who he was to them, he's asking them to go a little deeper. Yeah, you followed me so far. Where's your faith? Place it in me. See what's going on and place it in me. Know that I have authority over this world and the world to come. And you're going to see these in the next stories that we keep reading. Jesus keeps revealing his authority over things so that they eventually begin to believe that he does have the whole world in his hands. Where's your faith? It's a good question for us to answer this morning. Maybe your faith this morning in the midst of these things is like the centurion. I believe, help my unbelief. That's a great prayer. I believe and my faith is faltering. Help my unbelief. I I, I wanna have the faith, Lord, that you say is mine. Help me to have that. A lot of times in our faith journey, it's up and down, isn't it? We have faith one moment and it feels like we have no faith to believe that God can get us through in the next. And you know what? You're in good company. Do you remember the story of Elijah? Elijah the prophet calls down fire from heaven, shows the one true God, slays all of the prophets of Baal, stands there and does it by himself. Nobody surrounding him. Everybody else is falling away. And he has this moment. It's awesome. And the next day, this lady says, I'm going to kill you like you did those prophets. And this guy goes and lays under a tree and says, God, kill me. It's over. Well, how did that happen? Well, James tells you how it happened. He was a man just like you. Some days his faith soared, and some days his faith was lacking, but the way he got it back was to go and be with the Lord. And. You know, we might call him today that, that in that moment he was depressed. I mean, that's where he was. He was feeling it. But God wasn't finished with him and restored him when his faith came face to face with God. When he ran to God's mountain. Master, master, wake up. We're perishing. It might mean today that you need a, a new and a fresh encounter with the living God. God. When our faith starts to feel weak, when it feels frail, our vision of who God is is a little diminished. And God's trying to show us something about his character, his authority, what he can do. Maybe the question, where is your faith, has a different ring to it this morning because for you, you've never been saved. You've thought your abilities could get you through this life, you thought you could reason your way through this life or you'd just try your hardest and it would work out in the end. But the Bible says that faith comes through Christ and it's by that faith that we're saved. And if you've never been saved this morning, don't leave the building today without finding one of us pastors. We wanna invite you today to be saved. I debated this all week. I think it's too good not to. Could you just pretend that we're about to take our nap time? And I'm going to read to you from the Jesus Storybook Bible. The Captain of the Storm. I'm not going to read the whole passage but I think it's good just for us to be reminded of the story that we probably don't even remember when we learned it. They were only about halfway across when out of nowhere, whirling winds swept across the lake, fierce and strong like a hurricane. A blinding flash of lightning lit up the sky. The thunder roared right overhead. The storm blew the water into towering waves that hurled the little boat up, 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 and then sent it hurtling, crashing, back down, down, down. The fishing boat was blown and buffeted and tossed and turned back and forth and up and down and left and right and round and round. And in the middle of the storm, Jesus was sleeping. Now, Jesus' friends had been fishermen all their lives. But in all their years fishing on this lake, they would never once seen a storm like this one. No matter how hard they struggled with their ropes and sails, they couldn't get control of the boat. The storm was too big for them. But the storm wasn't too big for Jesus. Help, they screamed. Wake up, quick, Jesus. Jesus opened his eyes. Rescue us, save us, they shrieked. Don't you care? of course Jesus cared. And this was the very reason he had come, to rescue them, and saved them. Jesus stood up and spoke to the storm Hush. That's all. And the strangest thing happened. The wind and the waves recognized Jesus' voice. They had heard it before, of course. It was the same voice that had made them in the very beginning. They listened to Jesus and did what he said, and immediately the wind stopped. The water calmed down, it glittered innocently in the moonlight and lapped quietly against the side of the boat as if nothing had happened. The little boat bobbed gently up and down and there was a deep stillness and a great quiet all around. And Jesus turned to his wind-torn friends. Why were you scared? Did you forget who I am? Did you believe your fears instead of me? I wanna ask you to bow your heads this morning and pray. Heavenly Father, we know that this week, in our lives, we might be facing storms. Our friends are facing storms. Our loved ones are facing storms. And Father, if we were to confess to you this morning, we'd have to admit that sometimes we believe our fears more than we believe you. Father, we pray for one another this morning and we lift up the brother or the sister this morning who is facing fear. May it be replaced with faith. Father, for those of us who have more than we can handle, may we look to you and call on the name of Jesus to get up and come and rescue and save us again. As you have done so many times, you are good, you are faithful, and you're bigger than the storm, reveal to us today who you are in the midst of these moments. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.